appreciate the opportunity, and uh, I'm glad to be here. That's the first time I ever heard my sister sing, and uh, we were not a musical family growing up. I'm just going to tell you. I mean, some of the, you know, I'm kind of jealous. Some people just have, and I could tell our brother leading the singing this morning, I could tell, I mean, the big smile, and, you know, confident, you know, and just some people, they seem to speak the language of music, it seems like. You ever met anybody like that? I hate those people. <laughs> That's not us. We didn't grow up, we weren't a super musical family. In fact, um, and my wife doesn't sing much either. Last night, I don't know if that was a joke. Was that kind of a joke? He, t- he texted me and says, uh, hey, could your wife sing a special before the message this morning? That was a pretty short answer, wasn't it? No explanation. I just texted back, N-O, no. <laughs> she doesn't do that. And so I, mean, I didn't need to. <laughs> I didn't need to ask her. So first time I hear Krista singing, and of course, you know, she's singing that, and it's like, you know, mom and dad are sitting there, you know, and everybody's breaking up, all teared up and everything. I'm like, man, not a good choice there this morning. But, uh, no, I appreciate it and, uh, and uh, touched my heart, too. So I, I enjoyed hearing her sing. Appreciate your uh, pastor, of course, in the church here. And uh, would you stand with me this morning? And uh, I'm going to let you stretch your legs uh, so that you can be prepared for the next hour and a half here. And uh, (laughs) no, I promise you we won't be that long. So uh, turn with me in your Bibles to the middle of the Bible. And uh, the book of Ecclesiastes, if you're still getting familiar with your Bible, you can find the big book of Psalms in the middle of the Bible. And then over from that one book is the book of Proverbs. And then you're going to run into Ecclesiastes there real shortly after that. Ecclesiastes is not a long book, um, but it is a, I'll tell you what, there's no better book in the Bible for perspective. You're looking for perspective on life? The book of Ecclesiastes will give you some perspective. And so um, we're going to turn to chapter 2, Ecclesiastes chapter 2. I'm giving you a little bit of time. Ecclesiastes is not the easiest book to find. Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Ecclesiastes was written by Solomon. So I'll say more about that in a minute. Chapter number 2. And I'm gonna, we're going to read uh, verse number... We'll start in verse 11. We'll skip around just a, a, a tad bit here. You'll see where we're going here in a minute. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, and let's pick it up in verse 11. If you're with me, say amen. All right, I'm glad you're in church today. I'm glad we can be here together. Verse 11 says this, Then I looked on all the works of my hands that I had wrought, uh, that my hands had wrought, and on the labor that I had labored to do. And behold, all was vanity and vexation of spirit, and there was no profit under the sun. Skip down to verse 15. Then said I in my heart, as it happeneth to the fool, so it happeneth even to me, and why was I uh, and why was I then more wise? Then I said in my heart that this is also vanity, for there is no remembrance of the wise more than of the fool forever, seeing that which now is in the days to come shall all be forgotten, and how dieth the wise man as the fool? Therefore, this is interesting, therefore I hated life. Because the work that is wrought under the sun is grievous to me. Notice the wording here. For all is vanity and vexation of spirit. Yea, I hated 
all my labor which I had taken under the sun, because I should leave it to the man that should be after me. And who knoweth whether he shall be a wise man or a fool? Yet shall he have rule over all my labor wherein I have labored, and wherein I have showed myself wise under the sun. This is also vanity. Therefore I went about to cause my heart to despair of all the labor which I took under the sun. Title of the messages this morning is How to Have a Miserable Life. How to Have a Miserable Life. And so let's go ahead and pray. We'll get into it. Father, thank you so much for your word. God, I pray that this passage written uh, a couple, several thousand years ago, uh, Lord, would, would leap off the page to us this morning, that you would use it to be profitable and beneficial to our lives. And uh, Lord, I pray that it be a, be a help to folks today. Please help us as, as we listen in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Solomon wrote three different books in the Bible, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon. Song of Solomon was written when Solomon was a very young man. I think even a cursory look at the book of Solomon, you can realize that. That is a book that deals with love, and, and uh, he was a very young man, obviously, when he wrote the book of Song of Solomon. Then the book of Proverbs was written over his middle years. The book of Proverbs was written to his son Rehoboam. And it's a lot of just life lessons, a lot of wisdom, written in an interesting style where a lot of the verses don't necessarily flow. You don't have to have a lot of context when you read the book of Proverbs because they're individual Proverbs and things that the Lord had, shared, had given him, wisdom that he had learned down through the years. And I think over his middle to later years is when Solomon wrote the book of, of, of Proverbs. Then you have the book of Ecclesiastes and it's very obvious just from the beginning of reading it that Ecclesiastes was written by Solomon when he was getting up in years. In fact, he was probably close to, to, to passing off the scene. If we were to skip forward and read chapter 12, we could see that Solomon is actually describing his physical condition and he's talking about, you know, his body is breaking down a little bit and the, you know, the, the, he's talking about the grinders and the silver cord and those are all references to body parts that, you know, as he's getting older, his eyesight is failing and his back is starting to stoop and his teeth are all falling out and he's waking up at the sound of a bird and, and all those things that are associated with getting older. But we see here in chapter number two, it's kind of his autobiography, if you will, of his life. It's kind of his testimony. Solomon's giving a testimony of his life. And it's interesting if you read the book of Ecclesiastes you'll see some of the words and phrases that we read here this morning are repeated over and over again throughout the book of Ecclesiastes. For instance, I'm sure you noticed the phrase under the sun. How many of you noticed that when we read there, under the sun? The, word, the, the phrase under the sun is used 30 times in the book of Ecclesiastes, 30 different times. It's talking about the earthly life, the life that we live here on earth. That's what it's referring to. The word vanity you heard that, for, that word used, is used 37 times in the book of Ecclesiastes. Vanity means empty, emptiness, worthlessness. That's what the word vanity means. You heard him say the phrase vexation of spirit. The phrase vexation of spirit is used 10 different times. The word literally means irritation or frustration. So here's this man this older man who's lived his life, and he's going back and he's looking back on his life and he's describing it with words like empty, worthless, 
irritating, frustration. You'll notice that he used the word grievous. Vanity, vexation of spirit. And these are the words and phrases that are used by one of the greatest leaders in the history of the known world, the greatest king in the history of Israel to describe his life. Doesn't seem to make sense. And Solomon ruled, if you, if you study history, and this is not even biblical history, this is just history in general. Solomon was the leader of, uh, of the king of Israel at its apex. I mean, and, and really under his dad, David came on the scene, and David fought all the military battles. David was a great military leader. But his son Solomon, under his reign is when Israel was at its zenith. I mean, they enjoyed, they were really the world power at that time. Under King Solomon, Solomon ruled for 40 years. And for the most part, he had a very prosperous, very, very prosperous reign. Really didn't have a whole lot of battles he had to fight. Whereas his dad would fought all the battles against the, you know, the Philistines and all these Midianites and all these other countries that have been plaguing Israel for years and years. Solomon enjoyed the fruits of that. And Solomon was able to use diplomacy. And, and in fact, when the queen of Sheba came and visited him, she said, the half hath not been told. And so here's this king that ruled and enjoyed a very, very fruitful reign. In the Bible, we don't read of a king that, that, that really had it any better than, than King Solomon. We'll get into that here in a minute. But yet here at the end of his life, He's using words like empty and worthless, irritation, frustration, vanity, vexation of spirit. He despaired of life. How could such a rich, powerful, popular king have such a miserable life? Well, the answer can be found in his personal testimony, which he recorded here in chapter 2. And so I want to tell you this morning, here's how you can make sure you have a miserable life, right? Kids, pay attention, right? If you want to have a miserable life, I'm going to tell you how to do it. How many of you want to have a miserable life? Anybody in here? I'm going to tell you how you can do it. You don't, you want to, there you go, out of boy. We, we, we want to have happy lives, right? And so I'm going to tell you how you can live a miserable life here this morning, all right? Number one, number one way to have a miserable life, I would say this. Number one, live for pleasure live for pleasure. We're going to go back and we're going to read a little bit of chapter two here. And I want you, Solomon had the, the means to take advantage of the life of luxury. And boy, did he ever take advantage of it. He gives his testimony here. He says in, in verse number one, notice what he says. Solomon was able to enjoy the party lifestyle. Look what he said. I said in my heart, go to now, I will prove thee with mirth. Therefore, enjoy pleasure and behold, this also is vanity. Man, Solomon had the benefit of being able to enjoy pleasure. If anybody could ever enjoy pleasure, it was this King Solomon. You know, if Solomon threw a party, you knew that it was going to be a who's who to be there, right? The guest list would have included all the most popular people in the kingdom, the most powerful people in the kingdom, the richest people in the kingdom. Solomon enjoyed the party lifestyle. There's a record in 1 Kings of royalty that would come from other countries who would just visit Solomon just so that they could say that they had been there to see it. It was sort of a destination just for rulers of other countries just to come and see this legendary figure that was King Solomon. You know the old abbreviation out there, YOLO, you only live once, right? Solomon lived by that. Man, that was his motto. I only go around once in life. He said, I took, I took pleasure in these things. 
He knew how to enjoy uh, life. He knew how to have a good time. By his own account, Solomon held nothing back. That's a phrase that he used. He held nothing back. He said, whatever my heart desired, I didn't keep it from me. Whatever I wanted, I could have it. He didn't have to take it. He could afford it. Solomon lived that way for years and years and years. And at the end of his life, how did he describe it? Empty. Worthless. Irritating. Frustrating. Miserable. You'll notice there as we read down, Solomon enjoyed, he said, I said this of laughter, it is mad of mirth, uh, what doeth it? Verse number three, I sought to give mine, uh, mine heart to give myself unto wine. Man, Solomon enjoyed alcohol and he enjoyed all the pleasures of that, all the things that went with that sort of a lifestyle. You realize that, man, Solomon, imagine what his wine cellar was like. Uh, you know, he probably had all the best of the best of of whatever kind that is, and, and uh, he enjoyed all that. Man, he said, I gave myself to that. And, and, and he must have been really in, had the best of the best when it came to wine and the finest of, uh, you know, of alcohol and these sorts of things. And I can't help but think of, uh, of and I've worked out in the world, and, and, and I've heard the, you know, the, the guys who, man, they seem like they work all week just for the weekend. What, so they can go live it up? And they can enjoy drinking and they can enjoy, you know, running around and, and, and living it up just for the weekend, just so they can do it all over again. Well, Solomon, he could do that all the time. He enjoyed that lifestyle. Look at verse number seven there. I'm skipping some here this morning. I'm not going to go through it all, but Solomon had a life of ease. Notice verse number seven. He says, I got me servants and maidens. I had servants born in my house. Uh, I had great possessions, uh, possessions of great and small cattle, but all that were in Jerusalem before me. Man, he had servants. He had people to do all his work for him. What must that be like? I don't know what that's like to have, you know, have you ever thought about what that would be like to have a butler? You know, you just call and say, hey, I want you to go get something for me, and they just go get it for you. Or a maid to come and, you know, Maybe some of you, I know there's maid services now, but he had lots and lots of maids, lots and lots of service. He never had to do anything for him. Just think, never had to clean the house, never had to do all the chores, never had to mow the grass, all the chores that you have to do. And you and I, you know, that's part of our life. He never had to do those things. He enjoyed having someone take care of everything. And at the end, the words that he used was empty. Vanity, frustration, irritation, vexation of spirit. Those are the words that he used to describe his life. Solomon had women. That's kind of what he was known for, right? It's kind of interesting at the, you know, <laughs> it's funny if you read there back when the, the kings of Israel first kind of became a thing. Before, before 1 Samuel, there were no kings in Israel. And there were, you know, God would use prophets and, and uh and so Israel said they wanted a king, and then so God gave said, all right, I'm going to give you a king, but there's three things I don't want you to multiply. He said, I don't want you to multiply gold, I don't want you to multiply horses, and I don't want you to multiply women. It's kind of funny because those are the three things that the Bible specifically says that, that Solomon multiplied. But Solomon's known for that, you know, a thousand, thousand wives. Now, we got kids in the room today, so I'm going to be careful about the way I say this. So, and the Bible says that Solomon built houses for all of his wives. So back then, the only thing that kept you from having limited your number of wives is basically how much you could afford. It was a status symbol. And if you could afford more than one wife, that meant that you, you know, that you, 
you know, could, could, could afford quite a bit. So here's Solomon with a thousand women that are all vying for his affection. You don't have to use your imagination much to realize you know, these, these women, you know, really wanted to be with Solomon. And, and, and again, there's children in the room, so I'll be careful about the way that I phrase this, but uh, it's not hard to imagine that Solomon probably had access to whatever kind of fantasy you can think of in that regard. You know, I think of the, you know, pornography in this world today. And, and how it's just progressed, even from when I was a kid. You know, back then, it was a, such a secret thing. You know, if you wanted to access pornography back when I was a kid, you know, it was sold behind the, at the bookstore, you know, and it had the, you know, the, the paper in front of it. You couldn't see what the, or if you wanted to, you know, the, in the adult, there was always an adult movie section back, back in the days of Blockbuster and, all, you know, all these. The, the, they don't exist anymore, but all the video stores, you'd go in there and, uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a, and he had to kind of go in this little room, and it was considered dark and dirty and secretive, and man, now it's just so easily accessible. But Solomon had access to all that, a thousand women, and I can't imagine that he's marrying, pardon me, but ugly ladies, you know what I'm saying? Like, these are the most beautiful women in the, in the world. Solomon had access to, and, and just kind of leave it at that. I mean, he had, he had that lifestyle. It's only 365 days in a year. He had a thousand wives, okay? Probably a busy guy. At the end, what did he say? Vanity, empty, worthless, vexation, entertainment. Look at verse number eight. I gathered unto me also silver and gold, the pe peculiar treasures of kings and provinces. I got me men singers and women singers and the delights of the sons of men as musical instruments and that of all sorts. He had access to live entertainment, the best of the best singers in the world. Whoever the most popular singers were, you know, that were putting out the, 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 the records, you know, or whatever, the release and the hit singles, he didn't have to go, he didn't have to buy the single. He didn't have to go to a concert. He just had him come sing for him, like a, a live private con concert for himself. That's the kind of lifestyle that he lived. Solomon could do whatever he wanted to do as far as when it came to music. He never had to uh, go uh, buy a CD. He never had to download a song onto his, you know, the, his, uh, his device. It was all live entertainment. He never had to go rent a movie at the Red Box. He didn't have to subscribe to Disney+. Plus. He could just have them come and, and, and do the performance right there in front of him. He could enjoy anything that his heart had to enjoy. But in the end, all was vanity and vexation of spirit. Empty. Anything his heart desired. Look at verse number 10. Whatsoever mine eyes desired, I kept not from them. I withheld not my heart from any joy. For my heart rejoiced in all my labor, and this was my portion of all my labor. Solomon said, there was nothing that I held back from myself. What must that be like, right? To be able, there was nothing left to the imagination. There was nowhere that Solomon wanted to go that he didn't go. There was nothing that Solomon wanted to do that he didn't do. There was no experience that was out there. Whatever it is, whatever was, was on your bucket list, if Solomon wanted to do it, he did it. And at the end, after all that, what did he say about it? Vanity. 
vexation of spirit. It's empty. It's worthless. It's frustrating. It's irritating. Want to have a miserable life? Number one, live for pleasure. Live for pleasure. Number two, live for treasure. Live for treasure. Look at verse number eight again. He says, I get me silver and gold and all the peculiar treasures of kings and of provinces. That's sort of just a little statement, but that might be the biggest understatement in the entire Bible. I got me silver and gold. We're not going to have to take the time to read it all. Solomon was a very, 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 very wealthy man. Very wealthy. I'm going to, don't turn to this. Probably the richest human being that ever lived. Don't turn to this. I'm going to read you a passage out of 1 Kings. Now the weight of gold that came to Solomon in one year, this is just in one year, was 603 score and six, uh, 603 score and six talents of gold. We're talking about tons and tons and tons and tons of gold. Besides that of the merchantmen and of the traffic of the spice merchants and of all the kings of Arabia and of the governors of the country. And King Solomon made 200 targets of beaten gold. 600 shekels of gold went into one target. He made 300 shields of beaten gold. Three pound of gold went into one shield. And the, by the way, he's making armor of gold just for show. If you know anything about gold, it's a very soft metal. You would never use gold to actually fight. In, 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 it uses actual armor, okay? You just wouldn't do it. This is all just for show. This is just to put in his house. He's got so much gold, he doesn't know what to do with it. He's literally making armor of gold. So, swords and shields and things that you would never use. Pound of gold when it, the king put them in the house in the forest of Lebanon. Moreover, the king made a great throne of ivory and lay, overlaid it with the best gold. The throne had six steps on top of the throne round about. There were stays on either side of the seat. And he's given this description of the gold. Twelve lions covered with gold on this side and the other side. All these gold. There was not like them in any kingdom. All of King Solomon's drinking vessels were of gold. All the vessels of the house in the forest of Lebanon were of pure gold. None were of silver. It was accounted nothing of in the days of Solomon. For the, king, uh, for the king had at sea a navy of Tarshish with the navy of Hiram. Once in three years came the navy of Tarshish. Listen to this. Bringing gold, silver, ivory, apes, and peacocks. Apes and peacocks. You say, why, why the apes and the... I don't know. Like, what do you do when you have everything? Why did, why did he make gold... Shields, because he could. Why, why the apes and peacocks? He liked apes and peacocks, I guess. Bring them in. Bring the peacocks in. Bring the apes in. So King Solomon exceeded all the kings of the earth for riches and wisdom. Here's another verse. Listen to this. And the king made silver to be in Jerusalem as stones. And cedars made he to be as the sycamore trees that are in the vale for abundance. Listen to this, another verse. There was so much gold in Jerusalem, they threw silver out like it was rocks. Like, what is this silver thing doing here? This isn't gold. And they throw it out. These stats are a couple years old. This is a couple years old that I'm about to read to you. So the richest man in the world today is Elon Musk, depending on the price of Tesla on a given day. Four of the five richest people in the world are Americans. One of them's a guy from France. 
So Bill Gates, Warren Buffett, Jeff Bezos, all worth over $100 billion, depending on price and stock at the time. Sometimes it changes from day to day. Bezos, founder of Amazon, Bill Gates, Microsoft, um, Warren Buffett, Oracle of Omaha, greatest investor probably of our generation, probably less, less several generations. And Elon Musk. Elon Musk is worth over $200 billion. Again, price of, uh, price of, uh, that, uh, of stock and things that they own. Of course, that's not all liquid, but that's your richest men in the world are somewhere between one and $200 billion at, at right now. So these stats are a few years old, so the numbers are just a little bit liar, uh, higher. But these are some of, in world history, these are some of the richest people with their wealth or net worth in, uh, adjusted for today's inflation dollars, okay? And again, this article's a couple years old, so um, it's probably a little bit more than that. So when King Solomon became king of Israel, the country's border stretched from Egypt to the Euphrates. Effectively, King Solomon controlled the movement of goods by land through the European, Asian, African trade route. So everything had to go through Israel there, if you will. This enabled Solomon to tax all the movement of golds that flowed through the caravan routes that came from Africa to Europe, to Asia, from Europe to Africa and Asia, and so forth, at whatever rate he desired. Each year, Solomon received 25 tons of gold and maybe more. The booty did not come from people giving him gifts because they loved uh, to hear him, his wisdom. Maybe this is why uh, the area uh, of the kingdom, and they give a little bit of a map there. I won't go into much more of the details of that. So uh, some of you have heard the name Cornelius Vanderbilt before, um, and, and this is back in the 1800s. His net worth adjusted for today's inflation would have been somewhere around $185 billion. So that would have placed him right up there with some of these other guys as one of the wealthiest uh, ever in the history of the world. I'm going to skip some of these. Henry Ford. Henry Ford, adjusted for inflation today, had a net worth when he died somewhere in the neighborhood of around $200 billion. So probably right on par with, you know, that Elon Musk, something like that. I'll skip a couple of these. Tsar Nicholas II of Russia had a net worth of somewhere around $300 billion, adjusted for today's inflation. Andrew Carnegie, and this would have been early in the 1900s, had a net worth adjusted for today's inflation dollars of somewhere around $310 billion. Uh, Mansa Musa? Um, and this would have been back in the in 1300s, had a net worth adjusted for today's inflation somewhere around $400 billion. John D. Rockefeller in the 1900s, early 1900s, had a net worth somewhere in the area of $660 billion adjusted for today's inflation. It's estimated that King Solomon's worth was somewhere between two and three trillion dollars. With a T, trillion dollars. One ton of gold is worth $64.3 million at $2,000 an ounce. Now, gold's around, what, $1,750 or something like that right now? $64 million is what, basically what one ton of gold. Therefore, uh, each year Solomon received 25 tons of gold. Therefore, 20, 25 times 40 uh, years of his reign, and I, it doesn't specifically say that he received that much every year. Amounts to around $64 billion a year of income that he got. That doesn't mention the spices and the apes and the peacocks. He might have got a billion dollars a year worth of peacocks every year. I don't know how much he's getting. 
Point is, very, very wealthy man. Let me just say this to you. It's not wrong to have money, but you better be real careful about letting money have you. You need to be real careful about that. Money is a tool in the right hands that can do a lot of good. It's a wonderful servant, but it's a horrible master. You know, the Bible doesn't say that money is the root of all evil. It does say, however, that the love of money is the root of all evil. There's a reason why God doesn't give everybody money. Not everybody can handle it. Remember, as a you know, everyone out there is looking for the biggest piece of the pie. Remember, as a maybe as a kid, I don't know if this ever happened to you, but by the way, the bad thing about sitting on the side that has the most, you know, that's leaning the heaviest this way, is that you get the most of the message directed at you. So I'm going to assume for a second that this is the side that really needs it. You guys are the spiritual side this morning, no? But listen, I remember as a kid, every once in a while, we had a big family, and so sometimes, you know, there wouldn't be a ton of leftovers when we got done, but every once in a while, there would be leftovers. And so my brother and I were the oldest, so a lot of times if there was something left over, we were the two that kind of got to, got to, you know, take the leftovers. And maybe every once in a while, there'd be one piece of pie left, one piece of pie. And I remember, you know, how are we going to split this? So the, the arrangement that we came up was with, okay, one of us gets to cut it, and you're nodding your head. Then what, what happens to the other one? The other one gets to pick it, right? Because that's not fair for me to do the cutting and the picking, right? Because Why? Because everybody wants a bigger piece of the pie. Everybody always wants a bigger piece of the pie. Listen, Solomon had the biggest piece of the pie of all time. Nobody ever had a bigger piece of pie. But it was vanity. It was vexation of spirit. It was empty. It was worthless. And here's this frustrated old man at the end of his life saying, I had all this stuff and it left me empty. How to have a miserable life? First of all, live for pleasure. Number two, uh, live for treasure. Number three, and I got to hurry here. Number three, live for measure. Look at verse number nine. Verse number nine, he said this, so I was great. Wow, nice of you to say that, buddy, <laughs> about yourself. So I was great and increased more than all that were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me. Solomon was the most popular man in the world. Nobody measured up to Solomon. Nobody. Most powerful, most popular man in the entire world. I mentioned before that David had fought most of the military battles, but Solomon was an expert at diplomacy. I mentioned that people came from all these other kingdoms. In uh, 1 Kings chapter 3, he made an affinity with Pharaoh. He knew how to make alliances, how to network. In, in chapter 5, he hooked up with Hiram, king of Tyre. His popularity spread around the known world. 1 Kings chapter 4 says that his fame was in all nations round about, and there came of all people to hear the wisdom of Solomon from the kings of the earth. Listen, it's human nature for us to want to measure ourselves against one another. That's human nature. It happens. Do I, how do I compare to my peers in my age group? How does my job stack up to someone else's job? Where does my socioeconomic status stack up to someone else's? 
Where do I fit into the crowd? I'm smarter than this guy, or I compare to this guy better. I'm look better looking than her, or, or I have more Facebook friends than they do. Uh, this person has more connections than me, or whatever. Solomon had grown up the crown prince of the most powerful nation on the earth at that time. When it came to popularity, nobody measured up to Solomon. He was the guy who all the other guys wanted to be and all the girls wanted to be with. Nobody had more Twitter followers. Nobody had more Instagram likes than Solomon. Nobody had more Facebook friends. He was absolutely the most popular man in the entire world. I got... In Sunday school, I kind of got on social media. Maybe you've noticed I'm not a huge fan of social media. I'm just not, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not totally opposed to it. I'm just not on there a whole lot. Uh, I just think the whole thing, that's what it all wraps around. It's all about drawing attention to yourself. That's what the whole thing is. I love it for the aspect of keeping up with people that you, you know, have lost touch with. I love that part of it. But, you know, these people get on there and they post these selfies every other day. You know, and then you look at the comments under there. Gorgeous. And then that's liked 15 times, you know. What a beautiful family. You know, and it's like, all right, I get updating your profile every once in a while. It's nice to see pictures of, of people, and I'm glad to know what you're up to. But every other day, you know, all you're doing, that's just clickbait. All you're doing is trying to solicit that kind of a response. It's just a whole popularity thing. That's what the whole thing's based around. Measure. Live for measure. But in the end, and I got to hustle here, all that popularity, writing about the end of his life, about how empty and worthless it left him. All that, everything that he had had, everything that he accumulated over all these years, a life lived for having people think good of you is a frustrating, miserable life. It's a miserable life. So this man who had all the, the most pleasure, the most treasure, the most measure ever, had a miserable life. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. It is vanity and vexation of spirit. Why was he so miserable? I'm going to wrap it all up here. You're going to see where I'm going with this. This is the convicting part. So why was he so miserable? What I'm going to do is I'm going to go back and I'm going to read the passage that I already read and I'm going to purposely put the inflection on some different words. And about three verses in, you're going to know exactly where I'm going here. I'm going to read the exact same. Open your Bible. If you closed it, open your Bibles up. Kiddos, open your Bibles back up to Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Okay, we're going to start in verse number 1. You're going to to know exactly where I'm going with this as soon as I get done reading. Maybe just a few verses. I said in mine heart, go to now, I will prove thee with mirth. Therefore enjoy pleasure, and behold, this is also vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad, and of mirth, what doeth it? I sought in mine heart to give myself unto wine, yet acquainting mine heart with wisdom, and to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the sons of men, which they shall do under heaven all the days of their life. I made me great works. I builded me houses. I planted me vineyards. I made me gardens of orchards. I planted trees of, uh, of all these fruits. I made me pools of water to water therewith the wood that bringeth forth trees. I got me men served. Folks, why you just keep going all through the chapter, but you know exactly what I'm talking about, don't you? Because Solomon didn't start out that way. Because at the beginning of his kingdom, we won't take time to look at it. The Lord said to Solomon, you ask of me anything you want. 
I'll give it to you. Blank check. Remember what Solomon asked for? Remember what he asked for? He said, Lord, give me wisdom that I can be a good leader of this people. He said, I'm like a young man. I don't know how to go in and come out. I don't know how to. I've been given this huge responsibility that's been passed down for me. My dad built this great kingdom, and now here am I, a young man. I don't know what I'm doing. I just need wisdom. Why? To help others, to be a better king. I just need it. I just want to be the best king I can for you. That's what he asked for. I'm not sure at what point along the way Solomon got his eyes off of that, but by the end of his life, here's a frustrated, miserable, vexed, vanity of of spirit guy saying, I, me, me. Basically what he's saying is, I lived my whole life for me. Kids, you want to live a miserable life? I'll tell you how to do it. Live for yourself. It's the most miserable existence there is. How many of you ever seen that little acrostic, the little J-O-Y, we teach it to the kids, right? You ever seen that, the J-O-Y, how to have joy? What, what, what does the J stand for? Jesus, right? You know? Jesus, right? What, you had your hand raised. What's the O stand for? Others, good. And what's the very last one? Why? Yeah, you or yourself. And it's interesting, you look at another man in the New Testament, and i gotta, I got to quit here. You look at another man in the New Testament, I'm thinking of the Apostle Paul. You remember what Apostle Paul's autobiography was at the end of his life? Remember what he said? He said, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me in that day. And not to me only, but to all them also that love his appearing. Here's a man that lived his whole life for the Lord. His whole life was given to others. His whole life, that's all it was. How many times did he say, I would most gladly therefore rather spend and be spent for you, though the more I love you, the less I be loved. Yeah, he, he started all these churches, and in 1 Corinthians, he talks about how he was with them, and he hadn't taken a salary, and he was just, just there, just wanted to help. In 1 Thessalonians, he talks about the early days there in Thessalonica. He's only there for three weeks. And he talked about how I labored and travailed night and day, and I poured everything I had into you, into the ministry. He lived for others, and he lived for the Lord. Here's Solomon, somewhere along the line. The Bible says that his his wives turned his heart away from the Lord. If he would have listened to what God had told him to do, not to be multiplying all that stuff, I don't know that he ever would have got the position he was in. But now here's a man at the end of his life, and if we turn over to chapter 12, we see him telling the young people, and he says, Remember now the Creator in the days of thy youth. Man, when you got the time, when you got the energy, you have the most valuable resource on the planet is time. When you're little, you're loaded with it. You got tons of it. Warren Buffett's in his 90s now, worth $100 billion. Don't you think Warren Buffett would trade all $100 billion for one more year of guaranteed life? Don't you think for a second he wouldn't make that trade? Kids, you got your whole life in front of you. Listen, you want to have a miserable life? Live for yourself. Live for yourself like Solomon did. Uh, His his pleasure, his treasure, and his measure. 
Listen, a life lived for yourself is the most miserable life out there. You want to have a miserable life? Live for yourself. Is it wrong to have pleasure and enjoy the fruits of your labor? Is that wrong? No. No. Listen, I've been on both ends of the spectrum, right? When we first got married, we didn't have hardly anything. We, we didn't. And God's been good to us, amen? I think most, you know, the song that was sung earlier this morning, I have been blessed. Every single person in this room can have that same testimony. If you're here in this place and you're living in America, that's your testimony as well. Right? It's not wrong to enjoy that. It's, it's not enjoy, wrong to enjoy the fruits of your labor. It's not wrong to have pleasure in life. It's not enjoy if the Lord blesses your finances and God you know, blesses you along the way. There's nothing wrong with that. Is it wrong to have some recognition along the way? No, it's not wrong to be a popular person. I'm not saying any of those things are wrong. You find yourself loving those things. You find yourself living for those things. Folks, that's the key to living a miserable life. Pastor, why don't you come here this morning? Consider the message this morning and ask the Lord if to examine our hearts and see how the Lord Holy Spirit would deal with us this morning. As the piano plays, let's all stand. Let's all stand. Powerful truth right there, powerful message. A life-transforming message right there in our paradigm of life. Our reason for life. If the Lord has spoken in your heart in some capacity, why don't you, don't delay, just come do business with him. The altar's open.